Amy was looking for a resource to help her grow closer to God and live out her faith in tangible ways. So whenever I found Focus in the Family and started listening to the various episodes, I guess, found that so much of what was being covered were things that I needed in my life. Our podcast inspired Amy to volunteer at a pregnancy resource center, and she realized she could help save even more preborn babies through monthly giving. You are one person, but whenever you donate to Focus in the Family like I do, it magnifies your impact. Focus in the Family is able to touch millions of people. I'm Jim Daly. Join Amy and Focus on the Family in the ongoing fight to save babies and their moms from abortion. Become a monthly giver today at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash family. Springtime isn't quite here yet, but hints of it are starting to sprout up on warm days, at least between snowstorms here in Colorado. (laughs) This is a time when we linger between the cold, deathly grip of winter and the hope of warmer, light-filled days ahead. It's appropriate, I think, that Easter typically falls right on the cusp of that tentative transition between seasons. It's a moment where we stop to remember and reflect on Jesus' death on the cross for our sins, his resurrection, and the invitation to a new life that he offers to all of us. It's no wonder then that this is also one of the times when Christian filmmakers like to pitch their wares at us. They know that we are ready to see movies about Jesus, and this year is no different. Hey everyone, Adam Holtz here, your host of The Plugged In Show, focus on the family's weekly conversation about entertainment, pop culture, and technology. Well, this year has already seen one big Christian movie, Jesus Revolution, make a huge splash at the box office. Its first weekend doubled projections of what industry insiders thought it would earn. A reminder to Hollywood that sometimes moviegoers are hungry for stories that maybe they didn't see coming. Although, I mean, Jesus was resurrected 2,000 years ago, so it seems like they've had time to figure this one out. Anyway, I digress. But speaking of that, there's another one of those movies coming out this week. It's called The Thorn, and it's based on a long-running stage production of the same name. Paul Acey will be talking with that movie's creator, John Bolan. And in our second segment, Paul and Bob Hoos are here to tell us about Creed Three, the latest in a long line of Rocky Spawn boxing movies. Rocky Spawn makes it sound like a horror movie, doesn't it? A little. A little, yeah. (laughs) Thanks, Bob, for that. (laughs) Support. You know, the question is, is this going to hit us hard or punch below the belt? Hopefully not the latter, but Bob and Paul will definitely let us know for sure. And finally, I want to give one last invitation to tune in for a very special live stream of The Plugged In Show next week. It'll be Tuesday morning, March 7th at 10 a.m. Mountain Time, and our whole team will be on right. hand to argue with each other live. I can't think of anything else I Speaking would rather be doing. matches. <laughs> That's <laughs> exactly. right. Exactly. Right. And what we're going to be fighting about is uh, this year's Plugged In Movie Awards. We'll be picking our winners in four categories, best movies for kids, teens, adults, and best Christian movie. And I also want to point out there is still time for you to vote for your favorite in each of those categories, and you'll find details on how to do that and where to join us for that streaming conversation in the episode notes for today's show. Well, you've probably figured out who's on our show today. Bob, Paul, good to see you guys. Hello. Hey. Hello. I thought since we were going to be talking 
movies, mm-hmm. pretty much, you know, stem to stern, start to finish this week, I would ask a question that I don't think we have ever asked on the Plugged In show. And this is about as low-hanging as low-hanging fruit gets. <laughs> What's the worst movie you have ever seen and why? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate the affirmation. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm all about support today. I know, right? Uh, I'll start off. Great. Um, I, I, You know, I've talked to you guys a number of times about um, Bad Santa 2 being <laughs> one of the worst films I'd ever experienced but it was mainly made that way on purpose and it's just repulsive but the worst film i ever saw would have to be one called vlad (laughs) enough said right you've talked about this vlad was there impaling involved pardon was there oh yeah yeah because it's about (laughs) vlad Vlad the the impaler Impaler. it's sort of terrorizing these four students Uh, um it's such a weird strange i I was actually invited to go see, it was like at Universal Studios um, out in California, uh-huh. I, to see the premiere before anybody else had seen it, you know. So it was, you were it was a small group of us. And I thought, <laughs> oh, this would be fun. And it, cause it's a Billy Zane film. And went in to see it, and it was truly atrocious. And and it wasn't it wasn't necessarily that it even had a lot of really nasty content. It was just so badly made and written and in fact, it was so bad, I'm not sure it really... How bad was it? I'm not sure it was. <laughs> it ever really got a full release anywhere. Because mm. have you guys ever heard of it No, before? the only place I've heard no, of I've it only is heard from you, you. You've talked about yeah. it. Yeah, it came out in like 2003, something like that. Yeah, it, it feels like something i got to look for. No, if, you mean, see just... it, if you see it in your bargain well, basket, don't pick it up. <laughs> well, and I think it's important to make a distinction between movies so bad that they're good, like guilty pleasures. Yeah. You know, I could probably that would be a different question for a different podcast. Sure, sure. Oh, it's, that's this one so, then there's just so bad that it's like that it's bad. This is a public service announcement to that's not right. watch these that's movies, right. right? That's right. There you go, Paul. What are you bringing for us today? You know, I feel I feel like I brought the wrong answer to this because I there's actually, no wrong answers here. Well, well, I guess if there if it is wrong, we'll tell you. Yeah, because this is sort of falls into the uh, it's so bad it's good category. Oh, okay. Well, well, so we'll let it go this time because because and the truth is, I really like bad movies. I know you do. I really It's one of your like most endearing movies. qualities. You even host bad movie parties. I do host bad movie parties and this was it's maybe like a contender. It's like plugged in therapy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh I and because I like bad movies so much, I can't really narrow it down to the worst movie I've ever seen. So, I'm just going to give you the the best bad movie I've seen this month. Oh boy. <laughs> and that would be Man Beast. Oh, man beast. Man beast. This is part a man, part 19, beast. No, this this no. actually is right along your line, Adam, because it it involves the abominable snowman. For those who have listened to the podcast for a long time, knows that Adam really loves his Bigfoot stories, right? Mm-hmm. So and, this and is the abominable snowman is like Bigfoot with like a dusting of snow. Exactly. Right? So it it was made in Ice 1956. Bigfoot. Oh, I like it already. It's this woman who takes her boyfriend up to the Himalayas to visit her brother. <laughs> Honey, we're going on vacation in the Himalayas. Wants to visit her brother for reasons that are never really totally Mm. make sense. Uh, They meet this other handsome guy who leads them. They meet the scientist along the way. This very evil, (laughs) this very, uh, no, the scientist is all right. Often evil people are good looking in movies. It's true. It's true. Um, (laughs) 
So anyway, it has this evil scientist. It has this very duplicitous <laughs> guide. And it has, of course, the abominable snowman. So rumor has it that uh, that most of the footage was actually taken from another movie. <laughs> they they stole the best, about sixty percentage of the of the footage from this Mexican movie that never got completed. So some of the it was sceneries, Chupacabra, <laughs> for, for some of the interior scenes, apparently they leapt over. Like the director encouraged his whole cast to leap over the walls of another studio to use their sets so that they could, you know have some more expensive looking wow, sets. this is a crazy story. Yeah. <laughs> we should bring it to a close, though, because we got more to okay, talk about. Okay, okay. So that's it. <laughs> that's the end of the show for today. Man Beast 1956. It was really terrible and also kind of great. Wow. I actually wanted to hear more about it, but it... We it gotta felt go like on. Man Beast was turning into a podcast in <laughs> oh, and of itself. Oh man, what we could do you with know, a may- bad Maybe movie we'll podcast. come back and do that as a bonus conversation someday. Well, mine's Battlefield Earth. Oh, oh. you know, I've never seen that yeah, film. I don't. have seen that film. No, it's so bad, it doesn't even make so bad it's good. <laughs> uh, it's sort of an alien invasion movie. Uh, it stars John Travolta yeah, and yeah. a couple other people. Forrest Whitaker. Forrest Whitaker. Wow. Your well of movie knowledge sometimes <laughs> takes my breath away. I've mostly tried to delete the file. The, yeah. um, this is a, a movie based on a book by L. Ron Hubbard, right. which was supposed to be sort of an allegorical introduction of sorts to Scientology. Um, so it's sort of like the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe of the Scientology world, which if that doesn't make you want to see it, I don't know what will. <laughs> um, the weirdest thing about the movie is that these aliens have what kind of look like dreadlocks. They're not, but they think like Predator, right? Yeah. Only not as good as any of the Predator movies, although the Predator movies aren't good either for different reasons. And, and it's just... It's a breathtakingly awful movie that I paid money to see in the theater, and that's two hours of my life I will never have back. And if you're seeing it at home or in the car or you know at your favorite coffee shop wondering, why are we talking about bad movies? Well, it just gives you a little insight into things we otherwise wouldn't get to share. And of course, Plugged In exists to point you toward movies that you might actually want to see. And sometimes... Maybe they're movies that aren't familiar to you or things that have just popped up recently enough that that you haven't heard about them. And I'm wondering if for a lot of people, The Thorn might be in that category, you know, and, and now for something completely different. Yeah, a movie a, you haven't heard of. In a good way, <laughs> but, in a good way. Yeah. Um, and, and this is a movie um, about Jesus. And Paul had a chance to talk recently with The Thorn's mastermind, John Boland. So let's listen to that conversation. Welcome, John. It's so great to have you here. Paul, so grateful to be here. Excited to talk about the thorn and Jesus a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. We talked like three gazillion years ago when I was in a different job. You were still working for the thorn. Um, And one of the things that that just fascinates me about this production is that it's, it's been a part of your life for 25 years now. Yeah, 25 years ago, the thorn was born... Uh, when I was working as a youth pastor here in Colorado Springs. And I could tell some of that story of how oh, yeah, it first absolutely. began. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's been 25 years now. 
Goodness gracious. Yeah, so tell us how it did begin. What, am I remembering this right? Was it originally a Halloween production? It was. So here's the, here's the actual story behind it. My wife and I were working as youth pastors for a church here in Colorado Springs, and I was a brand new youth pastor, so I didn't know. I wasn't real, I'm not trained as a seminarian or a theologian. I, was, I began as a volunteer youth pastor. My degree's in marketing. So I was afraid to preach. I really mm. didn't know that I had what it took to preach. My parents were both professional stage actors. They met at the Goodman Theater in Chicago. And so I kind of have the theatrical blood in my system. So instead of preaching on Wednesday nights, as a youth pastor, we would do a lot of, back in the 90s, we called them illustrated sermons, right? So <laughs> we would have a lot of music and drama and videos. Yeah. I remember a few times we would have pyrotechnics during these youth meetings. Oh, and, my goodness. And um, so, but there was one Wednesday night after the youth meeting when I was sitting on the edge of the stage, Paul, and this 16-year-old girl is sitting next to me, and she's bawling. She's just weeping, and she holds out her arms, and I could see where she'd been cutting up and down her arms. Wow. And I turned to her and I said, you don't have to do that because Jesus took that for you. And and I thought to myself, you know, the young people are were going, especially at that time, and even now even more so today, I think, but they were just going through emotional trauma and physical trauma and an incredible pain. And and I thought, I want to do an illustrated sermon next Wednesday night that shows the price that Jesus paid for us. I wanted young people to see it. I didn't want to be gratuitous, but I didn't want to pull any punches. So right. I thought, let's do a drama where we show what Jesus did, that what he endured for us because he loves us this much. So I wanted young people to really see that, understand that no matter what you're going through, there's one who gets it. There's one who's been here. And then the second thing that I wanted to show was what I consider the supernatural battle for the identity, the calling, and the destiny of this up-and-coming generation. So I thought, let's do that in a, in a drama. We'll show kind of this supernatural battle, and we'll show the price that Jesus paid. So the next Wednesday night, we did the very first Thorn performance. And the truth is, the reason I called it The Thorn is because uh, the youth pastor before me had done a drama called The Whip, Hammer, and Cross. Mm. It was the only thing I could think of that was left was The Crown of Thorns. So I thought, <laughs> okay, I literally called it The Thorn walking onto the platform that night. Oh, you are kidding me. So it was just like that. And I did, if I would have known it would last this long, I might have picked a better name. But, <laughs> but actually, I think the name, it works just fine. So we did the first performance, and Paul, it was bad. It wasn't great. <laughs> the music was not great. The acting wasn't great. The makeup was really embarrassing. There was no lighting. It was four people in the corner of the room turning up <laughs> and down lights. But it was like the presence of God was there. Mm. I, I think that the Lord loves it when we tell his story. And something happened in that room. And several hundred high school kids experienced Jesus face to face that night. The, the senior pastor of the church poked his head in the door and said, hey, would you do this for the church next Easter? Wow. And we did it for the church the next Easter. And there were a line of cars that couldn't get in the parking lot to the church oh to see goodness. this production. People were driving onto the field and crawling under the barbed wire fences <laughs> to get into this church to watch the production of The Thorn. And I think we may have had five or 10,000 people come that first year. And then for the next 10 years, we did the thorn every year as part of this local church. Mm -hmm. and, and so now here we are 25 years later. It's an independent production company that we, now we tour with about 45 world-class performers. And um, that's kind of bring us, brings us to today. But that was the very beginning of the thorn. That's incredible. That's incredible. It really has been sort of this, <sighs> this journey for you. I mean, to be a part of this for more or less 25 years, to watch it grow the way it has... <laughs> You mentioned that, that people just resonate. God loves to hear this story told. And obviously people really do too. Is that, what do you think has drawn people year after year after year to the theatrical production? You know, that's a great question, Paul. What, what I think draws people to the thorn 
a number of things. One is is the the subject matter itself mm-hmm. is it just is the greatest story of all, and I think it it grabs people's attention, especially when you're talking about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's just fascinating. Um, but also the way that we tell the story creatively attracts and grabs people's attention in a way that maybe a traditional passion play wouldn't do. And because we designed it for high school and college students from the very beginning, that's still who we work hard to appeal to. And so the comment that we get all the time after the thorn is, I didn't expect to see that. <laughs> you know, People, when they, they have a certain expectation of what they think maybe a passion play is. And when they walk out of the thorn, we typically see you know, people wiping their eyes. We, we, we see jaws dropped. We see people saying, you know, that's not what I expected to see. And so if we can, if we can reach people with the story of God in a way that's excellent, in a way that's unexpected, yeah. and in a way that's deeply moving, I think that's a powerful combination. Yeah. And it really is unexpected. You know, the first time I saw it, I had the privilege of seeing it in person. You know, you do see a lot of elements that you just don't expect. I mean, there's people coming down from the ceiling, there's dances, there's, uh, there's, these screen presentations and it begins as I sort of hinted at the very beginning it begins at the beginning the very very beginning and then it sort of runs into uh, sort of the fall of man really and then heads to the redemption of man with Jesus Uh, that's an incredibly ambitious stage production but then to take that production and move it to film how did that work? Tell me about the process of, of moving this extravaganza, what some people have called sort of a cross between Cirque du Soleil and the Passion Play. How does that work on film? So I wish I could say we had this grand plan and and all that. It didn't happen that way. It was really more of a, it was like the fourth quarter, fourth down in inches. It was the <laughs> Hail Mary of the thorn. What happened was COVID in 2020. Sure. We had been touring for about 10 years or so. And then 2020, we, we did our first two cities. We did Bakersfield and Sacramento, got to Colorado, set up everything. We're ready to go. And then got the call that the governor said, oh, it, 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 you had to shut everything down. You couldn't have anything more than 200 people in a room. And of course, we had thousands coming. Right, so, right. so we shut down the thorn tour for the year. We turned the clock from 2020 to 2021, and we didn't tour at all. We were dark the entire year. And so I remember turning to Sarah and thinking, I think maybe the season is over for the Thorn. And it was a pretty dark year. It was a hard year 2021 was. And then Christmas of 21, I began to hear about Dallas Jenkins taking The Chosen and doing a Christmas premiere in movie theaters. Mm -hmm. And I watched as the crowds showed up in droves. I mean, it was just a miracle what began to happen with that. And so I thought, I wonder if The Thorn could be fathomable, right? So we called Fathom Events and said, hey, do you think that The Thorn could work as a Fathom event? And uh, Katie Sawyer there at Fathom said, John, we've been actually emailing you for the past few years. We think, <laughs> I don't know what happened there. Uh, you know, Those so, emails, they get lost I sometimes. I don't know. I, I was like, okay, God, this must be your timing because I'm <laughs> clearly not paying attention. But so we said, yeah, let's, let's try it. So then we thought, let's film it in 2022. That was last year. And we did a limited, we, we booked a venue in Colorado Springs and a venue in Denver just as a way to film the show. That was the sure. idea. We're going to capture it on film and that'll be a way to preserve the thorn for the long term. Because we didn't know we'd ever tour again, but at least we could capture it on film. And so we booked two venues and they both sold out. And we filmed the show in Denver in 2022 with cinema cameras. We filmed for a week. And I can tell you about that process. It was different than traditional filming. And now it'll be released in March 6th and 7th of this year. So we're excited about the journey. 
Um, it's not a typical process of what it takes to make a feature film and taking the live stage and adapting it to film. That's been a whole different challenge. Well, exactly. That's what I think, especially when you're talking about a production as big as The Thorn, right? With so many different elements. I I just can't imagine what it would have been like. And, and actually, as I was watching it, it I'll, I'll tell you right right off the bat, it translated better than I thought it was going to. When, when I first flipped it on, I was wondering, is this going to work? And it worked. Uh, it, it felt even more intimate than a stage production, which well, I was, was surprised. That was part of the goal was, mm-hmm. okay, we thought, what could we do? How can we film the production in a way that would make it a new experience for the people that love this show? And so we thought, well, what, what what have they never experienced? Well, they've never been in the middle of the action. You've always watched it from a distance. And it's right. such a big show. You're watching a big, a big show from far away. Most people are pretty far from the action. So we were able to get the camera into the action to film it in a way that you would never experience it in a live environment. And so those scenes really worked well. There was one element of the filmed live version that just didn't work, though. Mm. And that is, if you've been to the Thorn Live, some of you on this uh, listeners will have been to the Thorn Live. There's we have a narrator, so there's only mm-hmm. one. There's only really one speaking part, kind of two, but one primary speaking part in the Thorn, and that's the narrator that weaves these scenes together. So you have a, a narration, and then you have these scenes acted out, and then narration and kind of explains it. And that narrator narrating from the stage, which in the live environment he breaks the fourth wall, and it's almost like a comedy routine, right, right. And but it's very dramatic, and it works really well. But when I watched it on the screen, it just didn't feel like it was connecting, right. So then we thought, well, here's a problem. How do we solve this? And I had this idea. I wasn't sure if it would work, but I thought, what if we make John the Beloved? What if we shoot him in a more cinematic narrative environment, and then we give him somebody opposite? to tell the story to, to actually stand in as the audience. And that's what we did in the film is we we put John the Beloved on Patmos. We make up this new character. Yeah. He's a 12-year-old slave boy named Asher who wanders into John's cave on Patmos. And basically what happens is John tells Asher the story of Jesus and we cut back and forth, which yeah. again, I didn't know would this work. Is it going to feel like a Frankenstein production? <laughs> and, and I think in most places it works really well. Again, I was surprised how well that particular piece did work because you know it's being split. You can tell the cinematic version. You are taken over to the play version, but it seems to work. And I think that the addition of Asher uh, actually drives home the point so much stronger. The, the idea that he's a slave boy trying to figure out his place in the world, what, who he really is, what he really is, and to feel that freedom. As he hears the story, this man will set you free. Yes, that's exactly right. It's a really powerful thing. That's right. It's a really powerful thing. There's there's one scene in the movie. I think it's a really, it's fun because we get to be on the nose with our faith film. You know, (laughs) a lot of times, you know, in faith-based films, we don't want to be too much on the nose or it can come off cheesy. But in our case, it's the story of Jesus. So we can be, and we get away with it in, in a lot of ways. So John is telling Asher the story of Jesus. And there's one scene where he presents the gospel, I think in as clear a way as you can hear it on screen, where he talks about what Jesus did on the cross and he took our place. And it's a powerful moment. And I do think that that people will connect and relate to this boy who's trying to figure out what he believes and who he is and what his identity is. And I think there's a lot of people that will watch and listen. And you can kind of all, you can, you can almost see the youth pastor and me going back and saying, <laughs> there's these young people that have listened to a narrative about who they are, their identity. And Jesus wants to come in to set them free. And what does the Bible say? Who the Son has set free is free indeed. And that's kind of the idea behind it. That's awesome. Now, when you look at the world of Christian entertainment now, um, 
be it on stage, be it on film. Uh, we at Plugged In, we deal with a lot of Christian entertainment, and some of it is really good, and some of it could stand a little improvement. Do you have some advice? You're so uh, nice. <laughs> do you have some advice for for how Christian storytellers, those who tell their stories on stage, on screen, what advice would you give them on how to tell their stories well? Well, it, this is interesting. I thought a lot about this, Paul. I, I think back to the Renaissance, which not to be dramatic, but the Renaissance, the church was leading the way in every in every art form, whether it was architecture and stained glass and fine art and sculpture and music. Um, and then somewhere along the way, the church gave over the reins. And, and we essentially said, we'll just play second fiddle. We'll just, we'll let somebody else take, you know, take the lead and we'll just take the cues. And, and I, I think right now we're at a really interesting place in, in history, in the body of Christ, where Christian artists are saying, you know what, we want to step up and really lead the way again. So you see that with what Dallas is doing with The Chosen in such an amazing way. So the the quality of filmmaking, the quality of acting, the quality of set design, the quality of production design, and all the different parts of that, saying we're not just going to settle for average. We're going to tell this at the highest possible quality. I mean, that that's what God, I think God wants us to do. I think what Mel Gibson did with The Passion, the same thing, like really led the way in terms of beautiful uh, filmmaking. And it's happening across the board. It's happening in literature. It's happening, uh, I think, about uh, Mako Fujimara, who does am amazing fine art and mm. really communicates the gospel in his art. And it's in some of the best museums in the world. And so, so I think that I think that's what we as believers need to do is to say, let's tell this the best way possible. So mm -hmm. with The Thorn in particular this year, the live show, historically, we've been to mega churches mostly. But this year, we've made a really big change. And it happened um, as I was walking through a performing arts venue last year. I remember thinking that we were looking at one venue as a possible Thorn venue. And we, I was walking back to the manager's office, and we passed these posters on the wall. And it was a poster for Les Mis, Phantom of the Opera, and Hamilton. And I thought to my my spirit was almost like leapt out of me. And I thought, that's where the story of God deserves to be told. Mm. At the same place where culture is saying this is where uh, right. good stories are told on stage. And so this year, the Thorn Tour is going to performing arts centers and arenas only because we want to be in the public square proclaiming the gospel. Wow. So I think God is calling um, filmmakers, storytellers, playwrights. That's where God wants us to be, is leading the edge and not just following, but saying, what can we do to, to tell great stories at the highest possible level? Yeah, yeah. So as you talk about these great stories, you've obviously been involved with The Thorn for a very long time. What's the future of The Thorn? What would you like to see for The Thorn? And do you imagine being with me in another 25 years talking about the next Thorn iteration, or do you have other plans beyond that? Yes, is the answer to all of that, <laughs> Paul. Uh, the plans, God is doing more with the thorn. He's done more in the past six months than, than in the past 25 years. Uh, I, I was telling you before the broadcast here, there was a point about five years ago when, if I'm really honest, I was ready to, you know, to turn in the towel and say, hey, we're done with the thorn. It's been a nice run. And my wife, Sarah, who really runs the Thorn, she is the she's the lifeblood behind it. She's organized. She organizes the cast, the crew, the tours, all of that. She said, John, if, if you want to take a break, you can, but I'm going to continue to carry, mm. carry the torch. And she did 
for those five years. And now, of course, it's exciting again, so I'm back in, right? <laughs> of course. Um, but really, God, we feel like, is just beginning the journey of the thorn. We're actually planning for the first time ever a fall tour. So mm. we'll be adding a fall tour to wow. the spring tour. So we'll be touring twice a year, which makes the thorn a year-round uh, touring production. We may actually add simultaneous tours. So, we, And potentially we could. We could have uh, a West Coast and an East Coast tour happening wow. because— you know, there, there's no superstar in the thorn except Jesus, and I've got like eight of them. Uh, we call them the Jesai. Um, and so so we can have two or three tours, and they look identical. They look, and they're just as powerful as the one before. And because of the way the thorn works with limited speaking parts, we can translate it to any language. In fact, we've done it 100% in Spanish, and it was one of the most powerful thorn performances we've ever had was mm. in Spanish. And so we're talking about a Latin America version we could do it in Mandarin Chinese. We could do it, you know, in, in any language. So so I think the future of The Thorn will be uh, an expanded tour, expanded reach. The film now is is going to reach all over the world. We just found out we'll be in Africa. and Incredible. And we just signed a distribution uh, deal to bring The Thorn to South Africa, Ghana, Nigeria, and Kenya. It looks like it'll also be in Mexico and Puerto Rico and across Latin America. I would have never seen this coming. It's only by the grace of God and nothing we could we could have done to make that happen. So the thorn will continue to grow. Will there be another movie version? Maybe in the future. We'll see. We have ideas. Um, <laughs> and then and then I think we would love at some point to see the the future film division of of the thorn begin to grow and tell other stories, some that are historic, some that are modern, but in a style that that kind of we like to tell stories in. Yeah. Incredible. Thank you so much, John. Really appreciate you being here. Thorn in Theaters, beginning March 6th, Fathom Events. Thanks so much. Thank you, Paul. Well, thanks, Paul, for bringing us that conversation with John Bowen. Mm -hmm. You betcha. Yeah, it sounds like you liked it. I did. I did. I thought it was a nice translation of, as I said, from the stage to the screen. And, you know, the the story of Jesus, I I think when you hear it told in a new creative way, it brings new life to, to a story that becomes very familiar to us. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of stories that might feel familiar. I'll use Mm -hmm. that as a segue in a totally different (laughs) direction. In our second segment today, we're going to be talking about Creed 3. And this is like, what, the 46th (laughs) Rocky-related movie? It's only the swell. I was going to say. You don't even know. Yeah, it could be eighth, ninth. Well, whatever it is, it all connects. There's a lot of them. So um, obviously we know who Rocky Balboa is, but we may not be as familiar with the title character in this movie. And so I thought, uh, you guys have both seen the film. I want to hear what Creed 3 is all about. It does connect all the way back to the very beginning because Adonis Creed, or he's called Donnie in the movie. That's his name. Yeah, because it would be weird to call somebody Adonis. Adonis everywhere you saw him. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, his dad was the pro champion that Rocky fought in the very first film. Apollo Creed, right? Apollo, and yeah. that's was that Carl Weathers? Yes. Yeah. And uh, and and so there is that tie. There's that, but there's also the the whole structure of the film is tied back to all these other Rocky films. Yeah. The difference is that the Creed films tend to be a little bit, from my perspective anyway, they tend to be a little bit more serious minded. Okay. As compared to the Rocky movies, especially this one. This one doesn't have Rocky in it at all. Okay. The first two Creed films had Rocky in there, Rocky Balboa, and he came in as sort of a supportive role. And 
in a way, not having him in this third one takes a little bit of the heart away from my, again, from my perspective. Okay. You know, it's a different kind of storyline, but when you don't have Rocky there with his, uh, yo, Adrian kind of thing, you know, it, it's, uh, it, it changes the feel a little bit. And so it, the, the Rocky movies always felt like they had a touch of circus to them, in uh-huh. my opinion, whereas the Creed films feel much more like, they're not gritty, but they they still have that much more serious minded, more grounded, yeah. Realistic, get in there and maybe. let's focus on how we really pummel the body, you know that sort of feel. Anyway, yeah, um, I feel like that every day when I come to work. So so Paul comes in to talk to me about he something does, on my he cuticle. Pummels. pummels. <laughs> anyway, the, the basic storyline is this: um, Creed has decided that he's going to retire, and instead of being uh, a Donnie Creed, yeah, yeah, because. Yeah. Dad Creed is dead. Okay. Uh, Donnie, Donnie has decided that he's going to retire. Uh, instead of being a, a fighter who's pummeled by these champions, he's going to start setting up champions in their own matches. So he's going to be like an impresario kind of guy. And it all works great for him for a couple of years because, you know, he doesn't have to make his pretty face less pretty. Right. And he can be out there in, in the spotlight and set up these great fighters. And then along comes... Something from his past. Oh. When he was a teen, he was best friends with Dame... What was his last name? Anderson? Anderson, yes. Anderson. They called him Diamond Dame. And um, he was a Golden Gloves boxer. And the two of them would get into trouble because they were young guys out getting on the town, running around, getting into trouble. And in this one particular case, the trouble led to Dame being arrested and sent off to prison. Ooh. And he was sent off for 18 years. It was a big So deal. he has motivation to be the bad guy here. Yeah, yeah. And say, well, he comes back and basically says, you know what? I've been staying in shape. I'm looking good. And yes, I'm an adult and have ne- I'm 30-something and I've never had a pro fight in my life, but I want my shot. And obviously, uh, Donnie has the ability to kind of give him that shot, even though Donnie doesn't really want to, but he feels obligated to do so okay so i know in the past we have we've kind of liked the creed movies like there's been a lot of redemptive content they're pg-13 so there are some issues to deal with what are the pros and cons here in terms of people who might be interested or families that might have teens that are interested i don't think this would be a film that would likely appeal to younger children but um what are we looking at here well on the pro side um, you've got some incredibly well-staged fight scenes. I yeah. mean, they really are good, and and they stand got out. Mouthpieces flying out with well, spittle and slow I mean, motion. I mean, it's so. just some of the elements. Like for example, in one of uh, Donnie Creed's first fights that we see him uh, engaging in, you, we see him getting beaten because he's a little older now and he's going up against a, a younger guy. But we also see the way they stage the fight. We're able to see him observing things about the other fighter mm. until he can come back and hit him in the in just the right spot to take the fight from there. And 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 so it's so nicely choreographed that not only do you get lots of action, but you also get to see things that in some like Rocky films we wouldn't see. Yeah. If you if you, if you remember, so it doesn't back, feel like you're watching a match on TV. Right. And if you remember back to the Rocky films, they were always it was always the big roundhouse smash every single time and this felt like 
there's a little bit more boxing involved. Okay. So that's a pro. So this was an interesting thing about these scenes, really. And, and I would agree, they're very well done. They were actually inspired by anime. Uh, Michael B. Jordan, who stars and directs in this movie, he is a huge anime fan. So you have some of these fight sequences almost get a dreamlike quality yeah. in them. Mm. Um, so it sounds like they bring something really new to the boxing movie it's, genre. It's, it's really nice, and they sort of sprinkle in those slow motion mo- movements that help us see exactly what they want us to see. The other thing that I really liked about this movie from a positive point of view is they're just really talking about these two people who have a huge history together. You know, Donnie and Dame, they have literally grown up together. Uh, They have a very complex history. Uh, We learned that Dame feels a little bit, in a way, betrayed by the decisions that Donnie made later on. Uh, And so you have this complex history, and it's really about um, dealing with your past, Mm -hmm. in a way. It's about redeeming your past. It's about moving on and finding... um, There's no real spiritual, overt spirituality in this movie, but in some ways, this is about redemption. This Mm -hmm. is about forgiveness. This is about dealing with past sins and moving on. And that's that's a very strong positive in this film, in the sense that uh, by the time we get to the very end, even though these two, their, their relationship gets a little bit more heated, let's say. But even after that, the film resolves by resolving their relationship. Okay. And I, and that's a positive aspect of this, as well as uh, Donnie's relationship with his family, with his wife and child. And so those are all pretty positive. Um, however, I felt that the story was a little bit convoluted. The, the logic of the story just didn't connect sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I won't go into too many details because I don't want to give everything away, but there were some elements where some characters had been established as thinking one thing, and then suddenly something happens and they go, oh, but forget about that. I really think this. And they just changed their mind totally, and it was just illogical. Some of the elements just didn't fit together well. And even with even with Donnie and Dame, there were some elements that didn't fit together well. Where they were sort of heading in one direction, and then suddenly they had a change. Mm. And it wasn't necessarily that they had gone through some massive change of heart. It was just that the author, the writer said, okay, well, we need to go in this direction. And then, so they just twisted, they turned. And, and it felt that didn't work as well for me. It felt like that sort of um, undermined the story. Okay. Well, and I'm assuming with a boxing movie, we do have some violence, even if it's Definitely. choreographed in a way Definitely. that is impressive well it, and it's painful looking violence yeah. too it's not something where you you like you said like when you're watching a, a boxing match it happens so quickly that you know you, you don't notice that that guy almost lost his teeth right. you know um in, in this one <laughs> they take time to let us actually see that and for example in in one fight that dame is in He's battered so badly that when he pulls out his mouth guard, his teeth come out too. Oh, snap. So it's like, okay, that yeah. is violent. Well, That's and, violent. And one of the, one boxer gets very, very seriously hurt. We hear a reference to the number of concussions that Donnie has suffered over his career. And I think that, that because we're all so much more mindful of how long-term those injuries can be, um, it, can feel, it can feel more real. In yeah. a way, and it, it's something that that we should just take note of. Lots and lots of violence. There's 
plenty of swearing as oh, well. Lots, yeah, lots of, I wondered yeah, about that. There's a big spit bucket full of that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but but you know, and about the uh, the violence, I think that lends itself to what I was saying about the different feel of the movies from a Rocky film. Okay. You know, because in the Rocky films, there was that sort of over the top feel and atmosphere. Yeah, it wasn't and, a realistic and, boxing right. movie. And and you could say the same thing to a certain degree with this film, but it just feels much more much more real and brutal at yeah, times. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think it does feel more real and purposefully more real. I think... Uh, Which is probably both good and bad. It's both good and bad, right? And I, I to get to what, what Bob was talking about as far as the inconsistency, I think the movie worked better for me than it did for you. But that inconsistency was very much there. Part of the movie's message is really how do we move on from something that we really enjoyed? How do we move past a season of our life that we just have to move past? And I wish they would have dealt with that a little bit more deeply. for? Well, here's the thing. When you're dealing with a movie like this, when you're talking about Donnie moving on from his boxing career... And yet, you know, these movies have to end in a climactic fight in the ring. Where he's getting back in the ring. It's really difficult to completely embrace that message. Yeah. Yeah. And even, I mean, there were were even messages of anti-violence. But then again, that was sort of thrown to the wayside, too. (laughs) Okay. Well, hopefully, if you are thinking about Creed Three, if you're a fan of the latest iteration of this franchise or... You know, if your fandom stretches all the way back to Hadrian, Rocky Balboa, um, this has given you some food for thought about whether it might be a good choice for you and your family or not. Thanks, guys. You bet. Well, now it's time for a fun segment we like to call Name That Movie. And if you're wondering what it's about, well, we're going to name a movie. And actually, each of us will give a sentence or two description that is a little bit playful, a little bit exaggerated, a little bit cryptic, and uh, the rest of us, which I guess will be two out of two. the three of us, will have to guess what mm-hmm. that other movie is. Right. And I thought I would go ahead and lead off oh. this Ooh, week, if cool. that sounds fun and different. It does sound fun and different. Okay. Are you ready? Ready. This is a tough one. Terminator. No. I haven't said anything yet. Star Wars. I'm, I'm just... <laughs> Any other guesses? No, you're right. Let's get going. I don't even have to read it. No, it's not either one of those movies. Okay, here we go. A surprisingly short guy with surprisingly huge hands, a thick Philadelphia accent, and a penchant for jogging through tough neighborhoods with a hoodie on keeps winning fights. Everyone thinks he'll lose. Oh, that's No way matter too- how many times he gets knocked down, how much blood he spits out, or how swollen shut his eyes are. Rocky, <laughs> I win. I mean, when I you started, win. I was that thinking, was so... my cousin Vinny. But no, no, no. Well, as soon as I heard the big hands. <laughs> That's right. right. That's right. I, it, it, yeah. It was Rocky. Like it was it also was... Rocky 2, 3, three. 4, 5. And 5, yeah. Rocky Balboa, which was you a don't great... Even... No, see, actually, in the latter films, what? in the latter films, he got taller. I mean, that's just, you know... They stretched him out. So, That's fun right. fact, when Rocky Balboa came out, I had a chance to go to a press conference and meet Sylvester Stallone. Oh, yeah? And, I mean, seriously, I could not believe two things. How short he was. I'm not tall at 5'8". But he was... I don't think he was even as tall as I am. So he felt short. Yeah. 
but his hands, I shook his hand and his hand absolutely engulfed my hands. I've never seen such a literally ham fisted hand before. And his grip was like iron. So no joke. That's my Sylvester Stallone story. Well, thanks. For I sharing. thought it was a nice fit with our conversation today. Yeah. So, albeit I, maybe too easy for Paul, who wants me to try harder. Try harder, Adam. No, Why I, don't you try harder now? So, I, <laughs> okay. You're Smarty up. pants. <laughs> all right, all right. I was going to tell my own Sylvester Stallone story. Well, but you I still will. can. I'll, I'll save no, it. Let's just I'll save them all out. The next one. Um, I didn't actually meet Sylvester Stallone. I know you didn't. Um, <laughs> A teacher goes on a field trip where he meets an old squeeze, an old nemesis, and a very old piece of history. Oh, 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 I got it. I got it. Go ahead. I got, I totally have this. Raiders of the Lost Art. Ha! Oh, man. <laughs> I never you, win you these. You guys are just nailing them. Boom. You well, really mine are. Was, I'm really disappointed if that Large I don't get Hands to... and Philadelphia Accent didn't do it, <laughs> the hoodie was the dead giveaway. Well, life. yeah, that was just way too easy. I was I was happier with mine because I thought this might be twisting a little no, bit. No, I like but it. No, okay. I like it. It was good. All right. It worked. All right, my turn. Here we go. Two devilishly handsome best friends steal stuff, fall in love, take a vacation to Bolivia, and die. Oh, man. Yours are always so positive. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. You got it. And you got two of them. You're the winner. I win. Oh, Paul, you win. <laughs> and you're always complaining about how you don't win. And this isn't even a game that necessarily has to have a winner. No, it, but, does, it does this time. But this time you are yes. the winner. So right. thank you, gentlemen, for your descriptions that appropriately stumped us a little bit. Kind of, except not mine. Really. <laughs> oh, well. Next time. I'll try harder. And if you would like to participate and name that movie, here's what we need you to do. We need you to send in a one or two sentence description of the movie. And again, think, exaggerate something, pick some details, you know, maybe don't make it as easy as mine, but don't make it like a brain twister. <laughs> and we also need you to tell us what the movie is because we may not get it <laughs> we right. We may not know it. Don't and just, uh, don't if, just try and when we get us. enough of these entries in, we will sift through them. And we will read one of them on the show. And to find the official rules for this contest, you can check out a link in the episode notes for today's show. And thank you for taking some time to join us today. Have you seen Jesus Revolution? Are you planning on seeing, well, either The Thorn or Creed 3? If so, we would love to hear from you and get your thoughts on any of those three films. And you can connect with us on Facebook or Instagram, or just drop us a message at team at thepluggedinshow.com. And while you're at it, we would love for you to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts to let others know what The Plugged In Show is all about. And before we wrap up today, just one more reminder, this will be the last one to check out our live stream Plugged In Movie Awards conversation next Tuesday morning at 10 a.m. Mountain Time. We would love for you to join us online and you'll be able to join in that conversation via chat on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. So mark it on your calendars and get ready for a great, hopefully not boxing match, but a <laughs> conversation that is always fun for us. And you can find all of the information about that in the episode notes for today's show. 
Thanks again for spending some time with us this week at the Plugged In Show. We know you have lots of things that you can do with your time, and we're honored that you have chosen to join us this week. And as always, we look forward to another terrific conversation next week on the Plugged In Show. Plugged In.